Hey everybody, uh, this episode is out uh, a bit later than I thought it was going to be. I'm very sorry for the unintended hiatus, but we're back now. Before we start, I just wanted to say something about this season though. Um, Percy and Crumpet were born from a special episode of Heroes of the Hydean Way, um, where we dipped into the Genesis system and played around with the steampunk setting. Since then, we, and I hope you, have fallen in love with these two rapscallions and the various side adventures we've had in our interludes. When I wanted to take a break from Star Wars and do something else, Percy and Crumpet were like the obvious choice. But I was also a little hesitant because of the setting. Steampunk is fancy brass clockwork science fiction set in Victorian England. And um, it's, it's like a celebration of the H.G. Wells and Jules Verne style of storytelling. But Victorian England comes with a lot of baggage. Thankfully, we as a society are starting to have a larger conversation about the effects of the 19th century imperialism and the damage it's done to the people that weren't doing all the conquering. Sometimes steampunk stories forget about that and they tromp around using all sorts of imagery and tropes and bits of history that are actually really horrible and painful to some people. The world you're about to hear is completely fictional, but there's obviously going to be influences from the real world. If I were a big production company, I'd hire a bunch of people to help me build this world and make sure I didn't accidentally hurt anyone. But it's just me. I'm going to do my best, but it's a podcast that is done in one take off the top of our heads, and I might mess it up. If I do, please message me and let me know, and I'll do my best to do better and make it right. This is the only time I'm going to talk about this, but please do not be afraid to reach out and let me know how you feel. This show is for you, the listener, and I want it to be a place of joy and magic. So, without any further ado, let us begin the spectacular tale of the Nine Heists of Percival Q. The Empire of Bartona, in its capital city of Ballantrop. It is the King's Innovation Jubilee, the greatest celebration of science, achievement, and let's face it, capitalism. Not to mention the King's 20th consecutive year in reign. 15 as a globe-spanning empire. The Jubilee has been going on for seven days and is scheduled to go on for seven days more. Throughout this time, thousands of people have come to see the wonders of the world, the greatest inventions, the newest advancements in science, visions of how the world will be in the distant future or perhaps the very close future. New models of airships, Trains that seem to float above the ground. A device that lets you transmit your voice across wires. What new modern marvel awaits? But most of that is overshadowed by the Jubilee's crowning achievement, literally hanging above it all, suspended by a very complex system of airship balloons and propellers, is a beautiful crystalline orb made of metal and gears and glass called the Heliolave, 
a device that seems to twist the light in the sun into patterns never before seen by human eyes. It can create rainbows at will. Rumors run about that perhaps the government can even turn it into a giant magnifying glass and fry a man like a, like a child fries an ant. Or perhaps it can bend the light so that you can see hundreds and thousands of miles away. But whatever the purpose of the heliolathe, it is beautiful, it is gigantic, and on this late night, it is also the location of a secret meeting. This secret meeting is held at the very top of the heliolathe in a glorious conference room meant to overlook the entire city of Ballantrop. From here, you can see Castle Ballantrop, the ancient seat of power for the new empire of Bartona. You can see down the rivers, across the into the festering slums, out to the airship fields by the bay, and the shipyards not too far from there. Everything beautiful and horrible about Ballantrop is laid bare up here in the sky on the top of the heliolave. Twelve distinguished individuals gather in this conference room, each of them with sets of bodyguards and shadowy assistants nearby. But it is clear which of these people are the ones whom this meeting is for. In the center of this meeting place is a long table with 12 objects hidden under individual cloths. Our 12 objects, each individually covered by a white cloth, standing at the center of this meeting is an older gentleman, stout and portly, with pork chop, with uh, pork chop, <laughs> with pork chops, <laughs> with two pork chops in hand. His name is he's the Lord of Pork. <laughs> his name is Marble V. <laughs> and the applesauce is just tumbling out of his face. <laughs> just pockets full of it. <laughs> A portly stout man with mutton chops and a top hat. He's wearing the finest clothing one can buy here in, in uh, the capital city of Ballantrop. He is the Duke Iron Gill and seems to be the master of ceremonies for this meeting. He holds up a crystal glass of brandy and raises it in a toast to the other assembled members. Ah, oh, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming at such short notice. Normally, I would contact you through the usual channels, but today's meeting is of great importance and could not wait a moment longer. And what better venue than this glorious contraption made by our very own Mr. Archer Arrow? And the Duke Iron Gill makes a motion toward his right, where there's a youngish man in his 30s with slick hair and a thin mustache. Archer Arrow, the billionaire skyship maker, creator of not only luxury class skyships, but also military class weapons that have allowed the Empire of Bartona to become the empire it is. It's no surprise that he's at a meeting like this. And of course, I wish to uh, uh, welcome uh, the Countess of Minuet Largo. And to the right of Archer Arrow, is a, a beautiful blonde woman who uh, does not seem to appear 
to understand why she's here, but she smiles and, and, and curtsies. And we are always curious to hear your perspective on matters here, Dr. Professor Oberon Roman. A slightly hunched man wearing thick glasses, a top hat pulled low over his eyes, um, and the, the sides of his collar drawn up to try to obfuscate his face as much as possible, does a small nod. And you, uh, a Colonel Balafant Armitage? We would be nowhere without your um, fusiliers, of course. A uh, military man with a, a fine mustache, a monocle, and way too many medals on his chest. Um, and a ceremonial saber takes a bow, even though the moment doesn't really merit a bow. We also welcome the Dowager Savia de Aldenia and appreciate your long-running wisdom in these sorts of affairs. The Dowager is clearly an octogenarian from the country of Aldenia, with its, uh, her dark hair turned white, her supple tan skin turned wrinkled and leathery. It's almost like you kind of have to stare at her for a moment to make sure she's still breathing. She hardly moves. And of course, this meeting would not ever be complete without you, Wana, I Priestess of Misraelia. A feminine form in a purple robe and purple headdress takes a slight curtsy. The headdress has a very thick veil obfuscating most of her face. She looks very alien in her outfit, very otherworldly. It's difficult to understand what you're looking at. Admiral Mary Tempest, we thank you for your work on the high seas. A woman in her late 20s, um, biracial and bi-scarred because she has twin X's on both of her cheeks, stands proudly with a cutlass and perhaps unnervingly with a flintlock pistol at her hip. A seemed member of parliament, Petra Gronensauer, a uh, very severe looking woman with very short cut hair and a... Uh, mm, Clothing appropriate for the time period. Um, no, how do I put this? A bonnet. <laughs> she's not wearing a bonnet. Um, she's wearing a dress that is appropriate for her class and station, but it lacks any sort of sense of beauty or elegance. Somehow she has made a very expensive looking dress look severe and utilitarian. Um, and then our most esteemed, oh, and uh, Mr. Couteau. Uh, we appreciate your expertise in these matters. A handsome, clean-shaven man um, with clothes far too fine for the way that he's sitting in them um, grins and uh, balances a dagger between his thumbs and his forefinger. And of course, I leave our two most esteemed guests for last. Emperor Hiroi Menotora, thank you for coming here. Foreign robes, but with a very imperial presence and bright yellow eyes, takes a bow. And of course, your eminence, the Maharaja of the Rising Dawn and his attendant. The Maharaja of the Rising Dawn is the most imposing figure in this entire meeting. He is 12 feet tall and seems to be made of bronze and brass. It is unknown how much of the Maharaja of the Rising Dawn is mechanical and how much of him is living flesh. He is an imposing figure in armor. He clicks and whirs and clunks and clatters. His motions are somehow smooth and yet mechanical at the same time. He lumbers gracefully 
and yet feels as though he could unleash raw power like a locomotive through his fists at any moment. The Maharaja never speaks. He only speaks through the will of his attendant, who seems to always know what the Maharaja is thinking. What does the attendant of the Maharaja of the Rising Dawn look like? Uh, I don't know. Percival Q. Stalwart, what does your disguise look like? Ah. Okay. <laughs> I had a feeling that's where we were going, but I wasn't super sure. <laughs> uh, several robes on top of each other, like layers and layers of robes. Uh, because it is hard to hide his height, but it is very easy to hide his frame when he makes it as bulky as possible with numerous cloaks and robes on top of each other. Um, complete with a hood and a <laughs> and a bird-shaped mask, <laughs> <laughs> like a um, like a Renaissance bird. Yeah. Mask. Well, kinda. Think more ibis. Ah. Okay, yes, I'm in. The uh, Maharaja's head makes a slight inclination as if indicating to his attendant to say something. And what What's the name of the... the uh, yes, Ma- I will give, I'll give it to you right here. Thanks, I'm a visual learner. <laughs> His ever-shining glory, the Maharaja of the Rising Dawn, says that he's happy to be here. <laughs> 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 the Duke raises his glass a little bit higher than he already raised it. Anyone who has a drink raises it in the toast as well, although not every member in attendance seems to have a drink. Upon the end of the reintroductions, the um, Duke Iron Gill makes a motion with his hands and several servants rush forward. Um, much like how in a fancy restaurant they do simultaneous service. Um, each of these servants is ready to pull back the white cloths over these objects simultaneously. Before we move any further, um, we are technically in the Genesis system right now. Um, but I'm obviously going to be taking a little bit of liberty with that because I can't. So the first thing we're going to take liberty with is the generation of story points. Um, in Genesis as written, it's one per player one for the GM, but given our situation, that would leave us with only three story points, and I don't, I don't like that. So, please roll three, um, of the 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 four dice. Just roll the roll three four dice. <laughs> Boom! Oh, come on, <laughs> six light side. Should we use steam and smog? Let's do steam and smog. Okay, six steam. Boom. Steam for the light side, smog for the dark. And apparently, you're a very lucky day. I'm not going to use any of them. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, after much search, much use of funds, many hours of expended resources, I am finally able to proudly say and present to you the lost Canopic Jarge. Of the kingdom of Kyrios. All 12 cloths are pulled back and the servants disappear into the background. The canopic jars are arranged in an arc, each made of a dark obsidian-like stone 
but it's sort of matte textured rather than shiny. But it is one of the mo darkest substances you've ever seen in your life. It's almost like it absorbs light rather than simply just being black. Each of the 12 canopic jars has a different visage. A jackal, an owl, a bear, a tiger, a snake, a crane, a crocodile, a chicken, a baboon, a fish, a beetle, and an ox. A few of the members nod appreciatively. Some actually clap. I have to say, after so many years, I was beginning to doubt your ability to actually pull this off, Angil. Posh Kuto, as if, please remember that we are talking about resources from the Empire of Bartona, as if we could not fulfill the destiny of anything we put ourselves to, even if this one is strictly off the books. Wana, the High Priestess, takes a step forward. This then leaves us the question of what to do with it next. Oh, there's no question here. We continue forward, as we've always agreed. Unless some of you are starting to feel that perhaps this path is not the correct one. These words amp up the tension in the room significantly. Bodyguards shift. The 12 members start to eye each other back and forth. Save for the Maharaja, who seems to be completely standing still and stoic. Percy, you have no idea what's going on. Part of the course. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is a little startled by the abruptness of the comment, but um, oh, Archer I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to cut in. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, but Archer Arrow um, actually laughs. That's what I've always liked about you, Maharaja. You never back down from anything. And why should I? If the Maharaja is feeling in for it, and so am I. And the rest of you should be too, after all. We've already sold our souls to the devil, as it were. I would be careful to speak of selling of souls so carelessly, Mr. Arrow. Yes, 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 I know. Then, um, who shall be the first? Oh, don't try to play so coy, Iron Gill. We all know that you've you've been dying to do this, so you might as well be the first to take a take a peek, hmm? Well, well I mean, if if there are no objections to it, get on with it, man. <laughs> uh, yes, of, of so, course. So states the great and powerful, ever searing light of the <laughs> never dusking dawn. <laughs> The Maharaja's iron, uh, the Maharaja's iron, why do I keep saying iron? The Maharaja's brass and bronze structure folds its arms together. <laughs> Fine with me, I'm not going to be the first one to do it. Let's see. Okay. The Duke Iron Gill takes a step forward and studies the canopic jars in front of him. He hesitates around the jackal, goes initially to the bear. Then seems as if he's going to take the tiger, then over to the crocodile, then back to the bear, crocodile, bear, crocodile, tiger. Then finally, his hand closes around the beetle. Ladies and gentlemen, for the future, he opens the jar. There's a flash of light, and then all of a sudden, you feel like you're on the floor. Something has happened, perhaps over the last several minutes, but you can't remember any of it. All you see now is utter chaos. 
The room it has broken glass everywhere. There are several dead bodies on the floor. You are lying face down in what appears to be some tattered remains of your robes. And um, you've, you feel a strange pain on your left side. Uh, this is all Jolly Lark now, isn't it? What do you do? Uh, I get up and check my left side or wetness or blood. It takes you a minute to get up. At first, your body doesn't quite respond the way you feel it should. After some focused effort and concentration, your muscles seem to remember how to move and you push yourself up onto your knees. The pain is alleviated immediately. You realize the pain was because you were lying on something. One of the canopic jars, an owl. Well, I suppose I won't be leaving without the party favor at least. <laughs> I pick up the jar. Roll perception. Oh, okay. Two purple, one black. Okay, cunning. So three green versus two purple, one black. Failure but an advantage. The Maharaja is gone, along with pretty much every other person that um, of importance. The bodies around seem to be only that of attendants and servants, except for one notable exception. There is a rather large portly man leaning over the center of the table. I go and check him. It's the Duke Iron Gill, for sure. His body seems to be torn to shreds when you turn him over, as if something gnawed at him. Or not something, but lots and lots of somethings. Well, that's quite ghastly. I flip him back over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, something of note. The Maharaja, of course, is not the Maharaja, as you are, of course, not the Maharaja's attendant. Mm-hmm. You need to find Crumpet. Yeah. That was my next question, if he was in there or just controlling it. So he was in there. He is in there, yes. Oh, Crumpet, what a fine mess you've made. <laughs> of bodies, left side's a bit bruised. And of course, you left the jar here. Heavens know what you would you expect me to carry it. Fine. Giant. And then you scamper off with your new friends. This isn't fair at all. I have to give that boy a stern talking to. There's a sudden shudder and clang as the floor shifts a little bit beneath your feet. You're able to keep yourself steady, but you notice that there's a slight tilt that there wasn't before. There's also the sound of a lot of bending metal and a lot of breaking glass resounding throughout the entire Helios, uh, the Helio lave. Oh, bollocks. Crumpet, what did you do? <laughs> I start moving towards the uh, path down. <laughs> All right, so you head back toward the exit the way you came in. Yeah. Um, what do you have on your possession? I can't imagine much. I mean, it, we can either roll like a... Um, we can roll if you want to know, like if you want some guidance or if you could just want to pick a handful of items you have with you, you can just do that. Well, he probably wouldn't have brought any weapons or anything because he was just going... Just in case they, you know, decided to search him. Right. So probably has a pocket watch, some change, you know, it's normal, normal everyday carry. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm also going to say there's probably a set of handcuffs. Ah, yes. You know. That's for the, um, they're legendary. Don't worry, old chum. I've already got this one. Where one of them slaps handcuffs on the other and pretends that one of them's a police officer and they've already <laughs> apprehended the other. <laughs> and there is currently a business card in your pocket as well. Um, it's a very simple card. 
Scully Catoon, uh, Scully Scatoon, I have a balloon. <laughs> um, you, you look at this card and you remember he's your getaway driver. Well, driver in quotes. Gotcha. I figured. So objective, find Crumpet, get the balloon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if the building feels like it's, or the lathe is, feels like they're, it's slipping, none of the people would have stayed up here. So egress is still probably the best path. Correct. So down we go. To get to the very top of the Helio Lave, you had to go into a lift. So you hit the lever for the lift. The lift opens, no problem. You push it, the lift switch down. It only goes down one floor. This is sort of a security lift. This lift open door opens up and uh, this was the security room where people did, as you say, do did a little pat down looking for weapons that weren't approved on the list ahead of time. All the security people in here are dead. Nice. Let's see if there's any weapons. <laughs> As you approach the first one, uh, the body suddenly does like a jerking motion. Like a oh, and then it stops. Keith, Keith keep your death shudders to yourself. I can't help you. I'm not a doctor. Goodness. <laughs> people these days and their expectations. Do you approach or do you uh, say Of course there? he approaches. <laughs> As you get closer, the body lurches completely up onto its feet. Its motions seem unnatural because it's not being moved by its own muscles, but by a swarm of scarab beetles that have surrounded it. It's just using the body as a shell. It reaches down to its side and pulls a long 12 inch knife and brandishes it towards you. You're a swarm of nightmare bugs. What do you need a knife for? Play fair already. The, uh, the body lunges at you. Are you going to make the attack roll? Uh, no, I just want to know what you're going to do with it, do about it. Oh, he just dives to the side. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dive to the side. Uh, you dive to the side and, uh, the knife goes wide, but it, the beetles apparently either on their own, or maybe it was listening to you. They leap off the body and just swim right at you. You curl up automatically to defend yourself, hiding under the remains of your robes. When all of a sudden the uh, jar in your hand starts to shake violently. Ah, I get it. The jars contain the animals that are pictured on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't love a good feast of beetles? <laughs> Isn't that right, my owly friend? And I open the jar. <laughs> he thinks there's an owl in <laughs> Yeah, the attack owl, specifically, apparently. <laughs> He thinks there's a tiger in the tiger one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and a bear, yep. <laughs> when you open the top of the jar, a gigantic cloud of blue dust erupts from the inside. The dust creates a swirling vortex that surrounds you and keeps the beetles at bay. In the center of this swirling vortex forms the face of a owl. Hello, charlatan. Confidence man and trickster. Not that confident. You seem to be one of my followers, whether you know it or not. Someone who lives in the shadows, operates outside of what is known. Okay, of truth. fine, I admit it. I steal electricity. That's why I live in the shadows, because I steal electricity <laughs> and it's an iffy gig, alright? Are you happy now? I am known as Huzu, 
the deity of knowledge, wisdom, and the shadows. Secrets are my domain. You seem to have gotten yourself into quite a predicament, Percival Q. Stalwart. Ah, Balderdash, these robes have faded too far. My identity is too easily de determined. I plucked your identity from your mind. Oh, oh. How do you like the disguise, then? You are taking the situation far too lightly. I believe I've already died, and this is my death vision. <laughs> <laughs> it will be your final moments, unless you make a very important decision right now. Wait, you're Although telling me this is real? Hold, hold on. You're saying this is real? This is very real. And you will probably agree with me when I say this decision is a foregone conclusion. But it must be decided nonetheless. I offer you now to bond your soul to my presence. I am a great deity, but my power has grown weak over the centuries. I will not be able to accomplish anything unless I bind myself to a human soul. By and binding just, together, we will have great power. Power you, more than you have ever experienced in your entire life. Can't you just turn into a flock of owls like that one did? I cannot. My power is too weak. Wait, did you say I get some of your powers? Indeed. We shall work together as a team. However... I cannot guarantee your safety or the fate of your soul once this journey is at an end. Oh, I, I see you. what's going on here. Fine, but you only get to start us 10% of the cut. You're <laughs> new after all. <laughs> Do not belittle me as one of your urchins. The fate of the very world is at stake here. However, if you cannot handle this mission, I shall leave you. For the Beatles. Precisely. Oh, great wise owl, you have seen the future. This surely was a <laughs> foregone conclusion. <laughs> All right, fine, I accept. Do you need a signature or something? Or is my word good enough? As I said, you are one of my followers, if only in spirit, if not in name. We both know that the, that the word of a thief is worth nothing. But we both know that being pushed in the corner is worth everything. Yes, desperation does make for a very uh, strong truth serum. Then so be it. Let our bonding commence. The entirety of the blue swirl funnels into your mouth and into your lungs. It feels like you're drowning in sand. It's the most painful thing you've ever experienced in your entire life. Your vision starts to darken, and right before it goes black, you can suddenly breathe. You feel stronger, physically. You feel more vitality than you've ever felt in your entire life, or at least for many years. You feel ready to take on whatever these beetles are going to try to do to you. The beetles, frustrated by their attempts uh, to um, take you down, return to the body and uh, bring up its knife again. Are you ready, Percival? 
Uh, yes, I believe so, now that I've stopped dying. The first thing you must do is bring me to mind. Summon me, as it were. Oh, that's easy. I remember you quite well. You may use some sort of uh, motion or phrase, if you like, or you can just do it, I guess. Look, we're going to have to practice and rehearse later. <laughs> but now I'm just going to say, arise, oh mighty great owl. A blue light uh, um, flashes out of your body in a powerful aura, and you see um, there's sort of these ghostly wing owl wings that appear at your back. And then um, a an image of the owl perched on a tree, some otherworldly worldly. Ugh, come up. The image of the owl perched on some otherworldly tree is hanging above you as well. The beetles react to this by um, stiffening up the battle position, and then two more corpses covered in beetles also arise. Okay, I have to give you some stuff. Okay. First, I'm giving you Huzu, the Owl Deity's Bake Whip. Um, for those of you uninitiated, the Bake Whip is what we call the Brawn, Agility, Intellect, Cunning, Willpower, and Presence. His Bake Whip is 232322. Next come his skills. Stealth 1, Melee 1, Ranged 1, Perception 1, Skullduggery 1, Deception 1, Cool 1, Knowledge, Arcane Arts, 2. And next, I am going to give you the battle aspects. Melee, 6 damage, pierce 2, crit 3, range, 6 damage, disorient 2, crit 3. There are also two special moves. One is called Mind Over Matter, where you convert wounds to strain at a rate of wounds plus 1. So if you were converting 2 wounds, you would take on 3 strain. The other is basically a status effect attack, misdirection. You roll an opposed deception check, target takes strain per advantage, and will attack allies or refrain from attacking for number of rounds equal to successes rolled. So this bonded deity is um, part weapon, part character. Okay. And th this system is actually very, um, the idea for making this work is very influenced by um, actually our experience playing Transit, the spaceship RPG, um, co-written by Seamus Connelly, which uh, you guys just finished hearing the, the, the three episodes about. But here's how it works. Every time you're drawing upon Kuzu, the owl deity's power, you roll everything as a group check. Okay. So you take the higher of the bake whips, and then you add all of the possible um, skill points, all the yellows, right? Yeah. And then if um, if obviously like there's no upgrade to that, you're still just going to add at least a blue to that. Right. When you attack either using Kuzu's melee or ranged ability, it uses those weapon stats. So, well, let's just run the tutorial battle, shall we? Uh, sure. The first the first um, scarab knife man is within short range of you. And the owl says, we can either strike with claws or unleash pure shadow energy. Choose now. What if I wanted to use one of your other things? This is a tutorial battle. Do the basics first. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was fishing for. <laughs> oh, fine. Um, 
range then, I suppose. The shadow energy. Okay, so what you're going to do would be, what would your normal ranged attack stat be? Two green. Okay, so you have two green. Huzu has um, three green. agility and one range, so it turns into one yellow, two green. And a blue. And a blue, because yes, um, Percival himself does not add anything to the roll. Yeah. Um, now, standard other rules apply, so if you wanted to spend your maneuver to aim, you could also do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And I'll flip a destiny point. Jeez. Okay, um, go ahead and roll it. It's just uh, one purple. Okay, green, two yellow, two blue, one purple. Three success, two advantage. Okay, so that's nine damage. Yeah. Um, okay, so this blue shadow energy is going to blast out. Um, it comes from... Well, it, you can pick how it appears. Do you want it to come from the owl? Do you want it to come from Percy? Like, how do you want it to go? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably from Percival. All right. Describe what it looks like. <laughs> so again, um, Percival would much prefer it to be a very well rehearsed and, and practiced routine to look cool and stuff. But he just got it and he doesn't know what he's doing with it right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so far, all that he's experienced is he's inhaled power <laughs> and felt better. So it's going to come from his mouth for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> the smoky blast of energy rips out and impacts the surface of the scarab-covered body. The energy swarms all over the scarabs as the scarabs had squirmed over the body um, and dissolves them into nothingness. The remainder of the corpse also just kind of evaporates under the the blasts of your power. Very good. Now, strike them down at close range. Okay. Uh, we've got the same brawn. I don't have any ranks in melee, though. So it's going to be a yellow, a green, and a blue versus two purple. One success, one threat, and one triumph. Okay, so um, again, how do you want the the melee attack to look? <laughs> uh, so oh, no. he stumbles forward because he's off balance because of these spectral wing things. And so he, you know, like when people are like sprinting and they kind of stumble and they keep sprinting faster almost, like mm -hmm. stumble forward. It's kind of like a run like that. And when he gets close, he just swipes his hands at them <laughs> and just like, really unfocused just very shoddy looking sort of jagged waves of energy come out at the end <laughs> okay so as he does these clumsy swipes those wavy jagged energies at the last second sharpen into perfectly formed owl talons and go sing sing and you cut down the next one again the energy seems to infect and eat away at everything of the body and the scarabs you are natural. I'm not attuned to you yet. Don't judge me. Well, at least you could understand that I was being sarcastic. Of course you were. That was a pitiful performance. I am no uh, improviser. <laughs> I'm a performer. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, thank you. That was very impressive. There are two left. Poison their minds to attack e the, each other. Finally, the thing I wanted to do earlier. 
All right, so you're gonna roll deception against their discipline, which is in this case, because it's a mook, it's just gonna be two purple. Okay, we both have a base cunning of three. I have two ranks in deception, he has one. So that gives us three yellow. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you're gonna be using this all the time. <laughs> and you said one, right? Uh, two purple. Two purple. Okay, three yellow, two purple. Wait, do I have a... Uh... And there's still an unspent triumph, so if you wanna add a green for an upgrade, you could. Yeah, sure, why not? Two success. Okay, so for two rounds, uh, one of the, um, one of the scarab zombies is going to attack the other one, which he does. Thrall so sounds around. much more impressive. Okay, well, there you go. One turns into an owl thrall and it immediately attacks the other one and the two pile, two piles of scarabs start swarming at each other. Now's our chance. Move quickly. Don't have to tell me twice. You dive through the security corridor and into the upper promenade. This is, of course, uh, where the, the big gala was held earlier. It's an open floor plan with um, bars on two levels. And most of it just sort of, um, you know, a couple of high top tables scattered around. But it was mostly left open so that people could admire the view out through the glass. Um, you do see about seven of uh, these scarab clusters. What you do also notice, though, this time is that these uh, don't these aren't attached to bodies. They're just sort of groups of scarabs moving together in humanoid form. We don't have the time to fight through all of them. Well, what do you suggest? I pretend to be a scarab and scuttle by them. I told you I am the deity of the shadows. Tap into my other power. And now for your talents. Converting my wounds to straight. Oh, there's a new thing. <laughs> there's, there's one more set. All right, you have three at the moment. Level one shadow step. You spend one team point and you are completely unnoticed by average people, or in this case, average scarabs. Uh, requires one strain per turn. You can only perform maneuvers and incidentals. Any actions will disable this um, shadow step immediately. And you can only use it if people are unaware of you at the time. You have the third eye, which uh, you spend one scene point, or if you roll a triumph during perception check, and allows you to see clues normally unseen. And then there's the last one, which is frantic flap. <laughs> Wing summon at the last moment from a fall to negate all damage. User is prone and requires a maneuver to stand up. It's incidental and automatic. Great. We're going to tap into Shadow Step. We flip a steam point. Now we're completely unnoticed by average people and or bugs. <laughs> you feel this cloak of energy fall around you. And to your eyes, it looks like you're wearing a cloak made of feathers. It's really cool looking. And it matches your bird mask. Or it would have if you still had it on. <laughs> You gingerly kind of step forward, kind of wave at, at one of the scarab patrols, but they completely ignore you. And so you're able to move through this area freely as long as you don't take any actions. These scarabs are idiots. I don't even look remotely like one of them. They're ignoring me. In fact, I look I more like a bird than anything. Our power allows us to go unnoticed in the shadows so long as you don't attract too much attention to yourself. Oh, Pishbosh, that's hardly a power. I do that all the time. Be aware, Stalwart. If one of these new photographic print contraptions 
is pointed at you, it will still record your presence. Oh yes, it just... I just look like a bird. You do not look like a bird. All of the... That's, that's symbolic. It's a symbolic of my power. Oh, they're all symbolic. I understand now. Deities rely greatly on the symbology. And symbolism. Not symbology. Symbolism. I was, I was not going to correct you this time. Forgive me. English is a new language. I just learned it from your mind. If you just learned it from my mind, where did you get a made-up word from? Oh, who am I kidding? I've probably used that in one of my phrases before. <laughs> Master of the arcane arts. Numerator of symbology. Something like that, I'm sure. <laughs> the tilt is significantly deeper now. Probably approaching about 10 degrees. Well, it looks like I'm not the only one who's tilted tonight. Let's get going. You pass through this area quickly and get to the next... Um, set of stairs which brings you down to the next level this is where things get a little bit more dense and chaotic the lower level is of course also reserved for um different viewing because um no there actually wouldn't be on the lower level this section is where the airship docking takes place now even though the helio wave is large no large airships were able to come up here so only really like skiff sized uh, transport balloons were allowed to come in here and, and dock and basically let the uh, let the uh, dignitaries off. So this ring has basically like a bunch of airship dock um, like airlocks. Going further down is going to be mostly control room stuff. Things that control the heliolaith and all the things that it can do. And so you're standing in this long hall full of doors. Robert! Where are you, boy? No response. Ah, never that easy. He knocks on the first door. So you pound on this heavy door, tong, 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 tong. And then you kind of glance out the, uh, the crystalline window off to the side, and you realize there's no airship docked at this particular port. Oh, okay. Use my power to track down your friend. How very did roll six points. You might as well use one. Oh, very well. I shall tap into the third eye. For real this time. <laughs> you hear the hooting of an owl, and then the, your vision turns into a tinted blue. Uh, what are you focusing on? Um, probably the floor and see if there's any doors disturbed. Well, no, specifically, like, who are you looking for? Oh, Crumpet. Okay, there's like a golden path that you can follow. Oh, that's convenient. I told you. I have great power. Secrets cannot be hidden from us. Well, we'll have some work to do later then, but for now, let's go find Crumpet. He has much explaining to do. This whole helio lathe is falling apart because of him. <laughs> One thing that you kind of think about and notice is that as you're following this path, all of the airships docked are gone, which means that all of those other very expensive, very high-powered people are also missing. Ah. So either they ran away or their people ran away. And of course, not to your surprise at all, the path leads down deeper into the mechanical engineering section of this uh, thing. I was just naming the boy out of habit, but if he actually is and <laughs> the cause of all this, <laughs> we're going to have stern words. <laughs> 
You go down into this engineering section and there's a bunch of stuff you do not understand or recognize down here. Um, but there are two things you can see very clearly. Well, I'm going to say three things you can see very clearly. One, the Maharaja Mecha suit has been um, redeployed in a way that you were not expecting. It is outstretched, um, extended past what it was meant to do. So you can see like some of the the uh, serve. What would it be like a ears? What would that be? No, not a gear. Like you know, you know, like on a on a office chair, the hydraulic piston. piston. That's what I'm looking piston. for. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like the pistons are fully extended, and you can see the the, the little steam engine um, crumpet built is running at full power, and it seems to be holding two large pieces together, <laughs> like trying trying to prevent something from splitting apart. Oh, bollocks! Second thing you notice, Crumpet is not in the Maharaja Mecha suit. He's lying on the floor um, and he looks very ill, like he has a fever type ill. Boy, Mr. Percy, Mr. Percy, where are you? I can't see you. It's OK, Crumpet, I'm right here. Um, I assuming that you're the reason why this building hasn't collapsed on itself. And let's get going. OK, Mr. Percy. Oh. And um, a uh, hmm, what would be scarier, <laughs> big scarab man or giant scarab itself? I feel like a giant scarab probably. Giant scarab man is just hair across from Pokemon. Uh. <laughs> and, he's, and he's friend shaped. Okay, yes, a giant scarab comes streaking down from uh the like the ceiling of this room and tries to bite your head off. Instinctively, a couple of owl wings appear around your head and knock it back. But when it lands, it has a like a orange glow of energy around it, much like the blue glow of energy around you. Ah, it's one of his lieutenants. This will not be as easy as the other battle. Seal yourself, Stalwart. Is this the Duke or did something happen or the, the Duke just die? The Duke was unable to contain the power. There is much you must learn, but we do not have time now. I was just curious if what my quippy one-liners would be all right. Okay, initiative, please. Okay, question. Mm -hmm. So th I know this is vigilance, but in the future, if it's cool and I have the owl, do I do the joint roll? Correct. Okay. You can still use the joint roll. Give yourself a blue. True. <clears throat> okay, we both have the same willpower. And of course, he has zero ranks. Four success, one advantage. Did I roll? Did I push the button? Yep. One success, two advantage. Oh boy, I've been loading. Come back. I can Come see back. it. Just keep rolling. I'll read you your results. Uh, I didn't even have buttons. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, you go first. Okay, uh, range attack. All right, you're at short range, so this is a uh, one purple. Okay, two green, yellow, two blue, one purple. Three success, four advantage. All right, you spit another ball of shadow energy out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he told you he hasn't rehearsed it yet. The ball of shadow energy splashes across the, the fiend and it um, recoils and shrieks and hollers. Um, but 
It's still up. You got four advantages. Okay, how do I activate Disorient? Two advantages. And so that lasts for two rounds? Is that what the two means or is that the cost? That's number of blacks. Okay. And I can only do it once, right? <laughs> uh, I think so. I believe so. So you I'm just a little strain if you're looking for things to spend it on. Oh yeah, I guess so. We'll just go back to full strain. This leaves you one one advantage left. Uh, can't do anything with it in terms of stat wise. Uh, I'm gonna say if he tries to melee, he has like, let's just say like, since he came from like above and I spit it out of him basically, where he fell, mm -hmm. he has to do a maneuver to close distance, like to get around an object or something. Okay, yeah. So you spit this ball of shadow energy and there's also some residual shadow energy on the ground serving as sort of a barrier. <laughs> they look like flames, but flames made of owl feathers. It's kind of cool. All right. He is just going to shoot back at you, though. So two yellow and a green against one purple uh, failure, but five advantages. <laughs> and where's his blacks? Oh, I forgot. My bad. Just roll two blacks. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Okay, it's extra failure. <laughs> <laughs> so it tries to summon up a blast of orange yellow energy, um, but it, it fails. Not that it doesn't hit you, but whatever it was trying to do can't be done here for some reason. Uh, first advantage. The scarab is of the earth domain. He cannot use his elemental power this far from the ground. Not that it would matter. It's a bad elemental matchup type to shadow anyway. Yes, there's elemental types. Let's just come with a book later. It'll come up in the second tutorial battle later. Ah, very good. All right, second advantage here. Wait, why did I give you give you a good thing and an advantage? What am I doing? I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> ah, give you free stuff. I hate it when I give you free stuff. Free stuff. You've been matted. <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> hey, just like Seamus said, if I give you too much good information, that's my fault, right? Don't bring Seamus into this. Y you already brought Seamus into this. Ay, ay. <laughs> okay. Would you like me to tell you secrets? <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's what happens. Advantage one. There's a, a loud pop hiss sound of the Maharaja Mechabot. It's not going to hold much longer. Advantage two. After that pop hiss sound, everything tips even further. We're now at about a 25 degree angle. It's getting kind of hard to stay steady here. Everything is a very noticeable slant, which brings me to advantage three. Crumpet sliding away from you and towards the scarab. Uh, next two advantages are going to be to apply a black to your next roll. You utter fool. You complete nonce. You dim-witted idiot. What? You have given me too much information once again. What? <laughs> you have stated that Crumpet is sliding towards the beat the scarab because of the angle of the collapsing building. This implies yeah. that I am on the higher ground and the bug is closer towards the end of the part that's falling. Thus, if I was to make a hasty escape towards the part that isn't tipping after I fetch Crumpet, he will have to chase me and I will not have to go past him. Secondly, oh. if the building was to finish, uh, lose its last grasp with the mech after I make my hasty escape, the scarab is clearly on the part that's going to fall. 
I would like to point out that scarabs have wings. <laughs> yeah, so do I. What of it? Jeez. Oh boy. But also, scarabs are a type of beetle, and beetles traded their main back wings in exchange for hardened protective shells, leaving them only in their weak guiding back wings for their main flight, which is why most beetles you encounter fly like idiots, clumsy and uncoordinated. Not uh, graceful like us owls. Or like the mighty Odonata, the dragonfly, who maintained both its main set of wings and its back stabilization wings. Okay, bug boy, can we go? <laughs> yes, we can. Well, I've already said what I'm going to do. I'm trying to try to snatch Crumpet and retreat. All right, so how would you like to roll to accomplish that? Um, perhaps... Would you allow a coordination roll? Yep. Stellar! Okay, base is three because of Huzu. I have one rank in, in coordination. That makes it to two yellow and one... Or, sorry, one yellow and two green. And what difficulty um, would you set this at? Well, it's two purple, one black for the double advantages I used. Okay. And then next, I'm going to put this theme point. One green, two yellow, versus two purple, one black. Failure. You start sliding down um, to dramatically grasp Crumpet by the hand, when at that moment, everything clips even further. And now it's about, about a 45 degree angle. Everybody's sliding very quickly towards the edge of the heliolave um, and the glass window that serves as his as its exterior. The scarab takes flight and it's going to just try to bite you, which is just going to be a yellow and a green against two purple. Uh, complete wash. <laughs> Huzzah! So as it tries to bite you, what do you do to prevent that from happening? I slip. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, because of the aforementioned bad <laughs> back guiding wings that cannot aim very well, and it bites into the metal catwalk that you are now sliding on. And it's still very much trying to go just to cut my head off. Yeah, and it, but it does leave a terrifying gash in the metal above you. Yeah. Your turn. Well, we're already engaged, so I might as well just melee it. Do it. Not ideal, but we'll, we'll do it. Yellow, green, blue, two purple. Two success and a threat. Okay. What did I say the base Six. Six. The owl talons tear into the belly of this giant scarab, and um, an orange icor starts gushing out at you, and it feels gross for about a second, and then it immediately evaporates, just like everything else you've <laughs> hit with this shadow energy. The threat here is that uh, the listing keeps going further and further now. We're at about 60 degrees. And you're sliding very quick now towards the uh, towards the glass. Change of plans once it's my turn. It is your turn. It is dead. It's gone. Ah, very good. I'm going to stop fighting it and run faster down the slope towards Crumpet. <laughs> All right. Um, we're only something. Uh, do you want athletics or agility or sorry, or coordination? Either. Cool. Because I'm gonna take I'm gonna take coordination because that's a better stat for me. <laughs> And difficulty? Two purple. Yellow, sorry, two yellow, one green, two purple. Uh, failure, two advantages, and a triumph. All right, so your intention was to catch up to get to Crumpet, right? Yeah. 
So you're not going to do that, but you got things to play with. Okay. Um, I go past him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you're not used to your new improved mobility and strength and you just zip on past. (laughs) So now you're running toward the glass ahead of him. I assume those are your advantages. You do have a triumph. Uh, can the triumph be that I catch him and that we break and then the force of him hitting me makes us fall through the glass? Um, no, because that feels like catching him. But this is what I mean. OK, so like now that you're ahead of him, like him falling into you sort of a foregone conclusion, right? Right. So falling through the glass could be intentional on your part, because I don't think this glass is going to break that easily um, just from you falling into it. Right. So I'll give you two options. You can do that one if you want, just smash through. Um, or um, you can see something very useful out the window. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just going to complete the tutorial and use frantic flap. Okay. That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We, ha- we so- have to use it. You turn around and catch Crumpet, the 10-year-old street urchin that has been your ward for a couple of years now. The owl wings burst out of your back and um, the owl talons smash the glass open and you go tumbling out the edge of the heliolave. It gives you kind of a peaceful moment to look up at the chaos above you. The heliolave, of course, floats above everything but not by itself i mean it is metal and glass it can't just fly it's mostly held in place by several larger airships um that Mm. support it from support struts what you can see is that um one of the airships that holds it up is starting to descend very slowly you see that the, the primary balloon has a very large leak um and you see like figures are jumping out of the the crew sections. You're not sure why they're jumping out, but they seem to be jumping out. Right. You do notice that uh, the fanciest skyship, undoubtedly belonging to um, Archer Arrow, is uh, puffing along merrily far away from all this chaos. And that's really the only airship you could probably identify from from this distance For sure. at night. Except for one that you do zip past, which is a, a kind of a cobbled together hot air balloon with a, a wooden undercarriage. <laughs> and you hear, why, oh, Percy, you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Come down as, here. <laughs> as you zip by Scully Skatoon and his balloon. <laughs> you look down behind you. I mean, you're hundreds of feet up above uh, the ground. And it's at this moment for the first time that you notice that, uh, Crumpet has sort of a green glow to him. Oh, Crumpet, you look like cabbage. Let's get you sorted out uh, after we deal with this. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to break the jar, Mr. Percy. Oh, bloody hell. We'll figure out what that means later. We're falling right now. <laughs> Why should a fall be of any concern to you? I, a great owl deity... Well, I have these bloody wings, but they're not exactly flappy now, are they? <laughs> That's because we've just bonded and you're surprisingly weak. Look, I didn't choose to practice being an owl, okay? I developed other skills. 
There's only one way we'll be able to survive this, and it's going to be a little painful and mostly embarrassing for you. That's everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last decision. Where do you aim? Oh, it's fairly inconsequential. He's, I mean, if he has a say in it, he's probably going to try to aim to not land underneath the helium <laughs> leaf. Sure. I mean, you can kind of skydive direct yourself, right? Yeah. Um, you're aiming for street, grass, or water. Probably grass. Everyone knows that water kills you if you jump higher than like 130 something feet, right? All right. You're aiming for grass, a green space. Someone's garden. It's one of the larger greens um, set up for the for the display. People have been picnicking on it and stuff like that. But of course, at this time of night, it is clear and open, which makes it for a good landing spot. As you get closer and closer to the ground, the wings suddenly feel a lot more real on your body. Instead of just being spectral apparitions that, you know, are symbol symbolic of the power within you, they catch wind and have drag. They flap frantically, and at the last second, all of the speed is bled off of you. Crumpet falls out of your arms and harmlessly onto the grass, and then you tumble head over tea kettle several times <laughs> until you land very undignified face first into the grass. But you are alive and unharmed. Ah, 10 out of 10 landing. Before I pick up Crumpet, I walk over to the street corner where there is a knocked over trash can. He kicks the lid aside. And he pulls out his normal cloak and hat. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Huzu, if you tip the bin over, people are going to think that it's already been ransacked of anything worth rummaging through, so everyone's going to ignore it. You are truly one of my followers indeed. <laughs> <laughs> now then, he pulls out his cane from it too. Let's tend to our ward. Not here, probably. I imagine that thing is going to fall very soon. You hear screaming in the distance and the, the snap of a metal cable. Uh, you look up and you see that the crashing skyship has now snapped its support cable and all of the weight is swaying all of the other airships back and forth as the helio lave kind of undulates and pendulates back and forth. Ah, uh, great Huzu question. Yes. Do your followers typically believe it's best to leave before things have come to a conclusion? Just to make sure that they have ample time to escape. You know, front of the line and all that. Those who commit the crime never stand to watch the aftermath. Indeed, nor do those who have advanced knowledge and, uh, there I use the phrase once again, foregone conclusions. Thus, there's no reason for us to dally about and wait to see what happens, right? Indeed not. Jolly good. Come now, Crumpet. Let us depart. Sorry, Mr. Percy. Everything's ruined. What do you mean? Nothing's ruined. I have my he coat, my hat, <laughs> my cane, I have you, and we escaped. He drifts off into like a feverish sleep. That's and right, you, fever crumpet. As you know, just living another day from a failed heist is still a success. That's how we have a perfect <laughs> record. <laughs> and as Percival Q. Salward reassures himself, as he runs through the streets of Bolentrop, we come to the end of the episode.
Welcome to season four. Season four, the nine heights of Percival Q. Stalwart. Episode one. Jolly good. What what? Uh, yes, jo jolly good. What what? I don't know. We'll figure out a thing to say. I'm the brother Matt, the player. Yeah, and a uh, happy new year to everybody. Happy 2022. Let's hope for slightly less horrible. Um, hope that your holiday season was good. Hope you guys enjoyed the transit RPG experience in listening to it as much as we enjoyed playing it. Um, I'm really looking forward to season four. As you can tell, I've put in um, a significant amount of world building work more than more than I realized I would have to do. <laughs> That's because we've used mostly pre-established worlds. Yeah, so this was uh, this is definitely a, a trip of memory lane for me as I pillage old notebooks and cobble together ideas that never um, made a full full appearance anywhere. So, you know, it's a great time to steal old names and, and things like that. But it's been fun. Um, and, um, you know, in if in talking about the canonicity of Percy and Crumpet's past adventures, you just kind of have to uh, take a comic book universe stance on this and just be like, OK, like I, I see the, the, the similarities and stuff that happened before. It probably isn't canon, but maybe aspects of it kind of are. Look, um, everything you heard before now are stories that other people have told you about them. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's that's the answer. So you either have to believe that they're true or false or a mixture of of fact and fiction. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, I'm excited to show you everything that we've come up with, um, both in terms of how we're using the Genesis system, uh, the story I have planned, and of course, figuring out how these two knuckleheads are going to survive all of it. And I promise I'll settle into a voice eventually. Like I always do, it takes me a few episodes of practice. Uh, but in the meantime, tell us what you think. We are, of course, on Twitter at SilZeroChris, that's S-I-L-Z-E-R-O. And I'm at SilZeroMatt, S-I-L-Z-E-R-O-M-A-T-T. Um, there is also my other Twitter at IngDaydreams, or you can give us an email, SilZeroPodcast at gmail.com. I also have a second Twitter, the brother Matt one the number one. That's um, my That's my Twitch one. Yes, we are still streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash ingdaydreams and twitch.tv slash thebrothermat. Uh, for more support or more content like the books that I write, you can go to sillzeromedia.com. There's some freebie stuff there. I'm going to start posting um, some of the alternate rules and lore that I've written here. So if you want to use it in your own game, feel free to do so. Um, additionally, if you want to help us out monetarily, that's patreon.com slash sillzero. And... Um, you know, get bonus scenes, chit chat with Chris and Matt, um, all sorts of other things that I, I post that go up there. And uh, we still have a coffee, actually, at ko-fi.com slash sill zero. I think that's all of it. Is that all of it? Uh, Balderdash. Is that what we're saying at the end? Balderdash? No, look, I'm riffing, okay? I've done yeah. no prep work. Well, yeah, I mean, before it was made, the force be with you. Um... Something like Pip um, Cheerio. Pip Pip Cheerio. Until next time, Pip Pip Cheerio. End of episode. Hidden under 12. No, oh, that's a bit better way to phrase this. A dozen. <laughs> no, not that part. Hiroi me tori. No, Tori, God. 
Nick is gonna kill me. Side note, I had him help me translate that earlier. It's supposed to be yellow-eyed tiger, but I accidentally first said yellow-eyed bird. <laughs> oh yeah, Dory's Do Do bird. bird. <laughs> Pora is, is tiger. <laughs> oh, sorry, Nick. <laughs>